I know I don't have to tell you this, but this episode is only for educational purposes. It is not nutrition or personalized medical advice. We want you to get the most from the episode, but to keep that in mind as well. And we really hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Quiet the Diet podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Shapiro. I'm an integrative functional registered dietitian in New York City who has helped over 1,000 clients reverse their anxiety, approach their weight lovingly, and heal their digestive issues. I help clients to access liberating self-awareness through humor, nuance, and compassion. I lost 100 pounds the wrong way so that you don't have to. You know, without all the physical and psychological damage that comes with it. Full body health requires so much more than just going on a restrictive diet. The Quiet the Diet podcast offers a holistic look at what it takes to be your most vibrant, healthy self, all while doing it on your own terms. I want to help you quiet the diet so you can focus on all the other parts of your amazing health and life. Welcome to the pod. I can't wait to explore the magic of functional nutrition and medicine together. There are many things in life that fascinate each of us. The reason I'm a dietitian is not only because I love the spirit of nutritional science, I love the rigor of nutritional science, but I love understanding human behavior and understanding human behavior at its extremes. And a big part of this podcast for me has been about what happens when we either kind of listen to our own voices and let that guide our behavior and actions, or when we abandon our own voices and how that influences our health. And that's really what quiet the diet means, right? It's all about trying to quiet the noise of what the world or other people is telling you and accessing your, what I believe to be infinite knowledge to your own body and healing. In my, maybe the word obsession isn't right because I think it's overused, but in my interest in human behavior and the abandonment of self has always come a a very strong interest in extreme personalities or extreme societies and groups. One of those being cults. I am super into learning about cults. I think many of us are. It's very fascinating to understand how amazing people can change through the influence of others. And it makes me feel protective and It makes self-protective and protective of others. And it makes me really cautious of the nutrition messaging that I put out. And what you'll notice about me is I'm always super nuanced and super individualized because I think the broad strokes of either diet culture or anti-diet diet culture can be, and just anti-diets in general, can lead us to abandon our self-voice. One cult that I had particular interest in learning about was the Nexium cult led by Keith Raniere. And you may have heard of this cult from... HBO's The Vow or Seduced, another series based on it, or just in popular media. And one of the kind of pioneers of leaving that cult was the absolutely amazing Sarah Edmondson, who was the guest on our podcast today. And where our worlds collide, and it was just so insane to me that Sarah would even sit down and have a conversation. I'm just so blown away by her. I'm so moved by her. I'm moved by her podcast, A Little Bit Culty, with her partner, Nippy, Anthony Ames. And 
Sarah came on because I really wanted to have this conversation about what happens either in a diet culture way of us abandoning our self voice. It could be happening also in, you know, even functional providers offices when we're hands in elimination diet, which for me, quite the diet, this podcast has always been about, and will always hopefully be about how to access internal dialogue and how to make decisions based on what you actually need. In addition to that, Sarah is just so fascinating and warm and brilliant, and her story is so moving. And we, in this episode, uncover kind of what I like to say is the cultishness of diet culture and where we can kind of see culty messaging in different things and where we can protect ourselves when other people are applying coercive control over us, manipulation tactics, and where I see that come up a lot in the health and wellness field. So it is my joy to have Sarah Edmondson on the podcast today talking about all of this. And I'm going to leave in the show notes, of course, her podcast and more information about Sarah because she is so amazing, but I want you to hear it from her herself. So here we go. And I I know you're going to enjoy this one. I am blown away that Sarah is on the podcast at all. See you in there. Okay. Wow. I am for the first time in probably years, very nervous about something. And it's this episode because I want it to go so freaking well because my guest today, the fact that she should even take the time and sit down with me is such an honor. And I really, really mean that. I am here with Sarah Edmondson, host of A Little Bit Culty. She is a light for so many people. And I'm just so excited to have you here today, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. This is so fun to to be here and also to meet a fellow Shapiro. Woohoo! <laughs> I know. And I think I said, I'm going to have to make Shapiro my middle name and just become Michelle Shapiro Shapiro to be cool like well, you because it's your middle. It, let me tell you how cool I am. My actual full, full name is Sarah Juliet Shapiro Edmondson Ames. And I haven't taken it on fully. It's a, it's a long name, but even just to top it all off, I think this is a fun fact. So my dad is British. He's not Jewish. And his dad oh was a gosh. lord. So when his dad passed, it made him a lord, which makes me honorable. Like if I go to England, I can say I'm honorable. <laughs> but when I was in Nexium, which I know we're going to talk about, my official title when I left was senior proctor. So my official full name at that time was the honorable oh senior proctor, Let's Sarah Juliet Shapiro Edmondson Ames. That's amazing. And I, I think I'm going to have to Go back and reintroduce you as that. That's <laughs> it incredible. It will fit on the title card. <laughs> That's amazing. We would need an entire other episode to just go through the name, I think. Exactly. Totally. So we are certainly going to be talking about that. For context for my listeners, if you're a personal friend of mine, you very much already know my obsession with Sarah and the amazing, brave people who left the Nexium cult and led other people to leave as well. If you are new to Sarah, Sarah, do you mind introducing yourself to us? Sure. My name is Sarah. I live in Atlanta. I'm originally Canadian and well, I'm still Canadian, actually, technically. Born and raised in Vancouver. I've got two little boys. In the mid-2000s, I joined a personal and professional development group that was a beautiful community of like-minded humanitarians trying to evolve themselves, achieve their goals, and ultimately change the world. But our idealism 
blinded us and we didn't know what was really going on, which was that it was a cover for a group that used coercive control for the leader to procure power, sex, and money. And when my husband and I and others found out about this, we decided to blow the whistle, bring this to the authorities, eventually the FBI. And there was a trial and the leader is now in jail for 120 years. And we have a podcast called A Little Bit Culty. That's the short version. Yeah, that's the short version of a very real and very long story of your life. Yes, but thank you for that beautifully stated and and concise version. Again, just to catch people up. It's interesting. Obviously, this is a generally a nutrition podcast. I do a lot of philosophical conversations too around bodily autonomy and about making sure that you're making food decisions based on your own personal voice as opposed to other people's. So this episode, I want us to talk about the cultishness Mm -hmm of diet culture. But what I want to be really careful to do is not minimize the experiences of people who left coercive control situations. So if I'm saying something is cultish, I'm talking about more manipulative messaging and really that idea that people can donate or outsource their power to make food decisions, which I'm seeing quite a bit. But I I don't want to disrespect anyone who's experienced a different level, of course, of control. That's a great caveat. And I'd also say, you know, one of me and my husband's sort of tools to deal with all this is we we laugh a lot. There's a lot of humor. And that's where we're at in our process. We've been out for almost six years. This uh, this June will be six years. And that can be offensive to some people if they're not ready to laugh yet. Everyone's there's, you know, grieving, there's anger, there's sadness. Laughter is not always a tool for everybody. So I apologize in advance if I'm, you know, I'm not trying to make light. It's just where I'm at with it. Sarah, I'm a Jew from Queens. <laughs> My uncle is a, is a stand-up comedian with a 30-year career. The depth and depravity of the jokes that we make to get through our trauma, it's extreme. So you are safe Great. here and for listeners as well. We're going to keep it light and funny and while at the same time having very serious conversations, hopefully. Yes. Yes, exactly. So I first started kind of, of course, learning about Nexium as being a New Yorker. There was always different people that actually had like even taken seminars that I knew. There were people who were always tangentially. Yeah. And I have family members in Albany too. So there was always people who were like tangentially kind of associated. and, And especially when the vow came out, People, start, we all obviously were watching and talking together and saying like, oh my God, I, I either met this person, had this experience. So I think in New York state, it, it also hit really home for us. And this idea, I think here, and especially in New York city, that ego can present itself as, you know, positive and money and all these things have such power and influence over people, especially here. I think it really, really resonated with people, even if they hadn't had a cult experience or something like that. So I think your story is one that people, it really hit home. I know certainly for me and certainly for a lot of the people close to me in my life. It's interesting also for me because so much of my journey with Nexium, and it's 17 years total, 12 years in, five, six years out, has New York as the backdrop. Flying into JFK or LaGuardia, taking the train up, the Amtrak train, which I still, I love that journey up the Hudson. Like it's such a mixed feeling. It's it's very pretty. It is very pretty. But then of course I would use the the journey to like visit Manhattan when I could and go to Pure Food and Wine, which was my favorite raw restaurant, which is a whole other side culty. Exactly. I was going to say a whole other, that's a whole other episode right there. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's really New York specifically, and this goes for anywhere in the world. Anyone is vulnerable to these things. What I always found so completely fascinating about Nexium that I felt like related so much to the New York experience in the diet world and elsewhere was that 
everyone in Nexium in my head, all of you guys were like so brilliant independently and so the exact and educated and so the exact people who I was like, they would never fall for something, mm. quote unquote. These would be like, to me, the least, quote unquote, again, gullible people in the entire world. And it just really shows you that every single person in their effort to do well and do good for themselves or others is vulnerable. Mm. And I think that's what really resonated with me because I'm like, these are the people who would be like, get out of here if something looked bad, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and I'm saying that to compliment you completely. And just to say that was what always shuck, you know, struck me as I'm like, I never understood how, people could end up in these situations. I always understood, but I think other people couldn't understand mm-hmm. how very educated, very smart, very cool people could end up in situations like that. I appreciate that. And I I definitely thank The Vow for giving people that very personal look into what that really felt like and sounded like and all the things like when they showed at the beginning. And so many people that were in my life before who didn't sign up for various reasons were like, oh, if if you'd said it was like that, I probably would have signed up. So (laughs) now like, oh, what was I missing? But I think that's really key. And I appreciate you saying that because that's a big part of our message now, because people who think they aren't susceptible are probably the most susceptible. I think that right now what I'm seeing is a divide in the nutrition and diet world and for people in ways of their health, which is that there's either a pathway people can go down, which is they can kind of engage in diet culture and do these restrictive diets, or they have to be fully body positive and not make Mm. food decisions or health decisions because they could be potentially psychologically damaging. So what ends up happening is if you're doing something that can appear as diet culture, it's kind of bad. Mm. And I'll use the example that my clients will come to me and say, I know I shouldn't want to lose weight. And I'm like, says who? Who says that you shouldn't want to lose weight? So when people feel they're doing something, like eating something and saying, oh, it's okay, I give myself permission to eat this, they feel like they're doing something that's perceived as positive or societally good. And I think that can really influence people's decisions because they're like, oh, this is the right thing. Can we talk about in relationship to your experience, how that might relate? Yeah. In terms of joining Nexium, or just like in general, or, I mean, I can, yeah. I, I have my own separate journey with like weight and dieting, not dieting, but just like being fit. You know, I've, I've never, I've never seen myself yeah. as a dieter, but it, I've always been very borderline obsessed with being thin, never anorexic, never bulimic, but definitely like super aware of what I put in my body, annoyingly healthy. Some might say some of my friends and one of those people that's like obsessed with various things when I find it, whether it be, you know, celery juice or turmeric lattes or right now I'm, I've been, I've been doing bulletproof for like two years and it's annoying for people. For me, I think my journey with that is that I try to never, you know, say that this is the way because I said that Nexium was the way for so long. And I think that's now such a huge red flag for me when I see anyone touting anything as, you know, this is the method, this is the way. That's when it gets dangerous for me. It is something that I've struggled with, like, especially after having two kids. And there was this like almost a shaming around it wasn't okay to say like I wanted to get my body back or like versus I totally accept that my body will never be the same. I birthed a child and then the second time, a second child, it was totally, it would be totally worth it if I stayed like this 
and I'm okay with it. But at the same time, like I want to wear my old clothes, you know, like there was sort of some strange societal pressures around that. Like it wasn't okay to say, I want to be thin again, like trying to relate these two concepts. I think the thing that I see the most as like a problem across the board is that people are divided. Divisiveness is like so problematic for me right now. And and that's what I find as culty that people just label people assuming they know things. Like I, I saw some random chat on Instagram. I don't normally do this, but I was looking at somebody saying like, oh yeah, they, they weren't into our podcast anymore because they saw that one of our sponsors was affiliated with this other person that they didn't like who they found to be really too right wing and, and whatever. And, and I'm like, I don't even know that other person. We both have the same sponsor. Like how, how are you making that link? You know, and it happened to be a nutrition thing. It was for a a probiotic. (laughs) So I try, I I try to use sponsors or people that I actually use. Do you know what I mean? Like not just some random, some random thing. A hundred million percent. It really is the divisiveness. And what I'm seeing again is I of course hate diet culture and all associated parties the most. Mm -hmm. I've seen it more damaging to clients than anything. What I think a lot of what we see is then there's like this kind of kickback reaction, which is then like everything is bad and diet culture. I think people start to like get new, I call it like new, like little voices or identities that come along. And then you have this Sarah voice that's like, you shouldn't want to be thin. And it's like, but I also was before at the weight I wanted to be. And it felt great. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have kind of a new voice, which is that you shouldn't ever want to lose weight or shouldn't want to be fit or want to be those things because it's body shaming or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of added shoulds with the divisiveness too, for sure. Yes. In Nexium, we used to say you're shitting all over yourself. <laughs> now I never want to use I the know, word should again. Know, but Is that okay? I, I know, I'm sure they stole it from some other modality. I think what's really key in what I'm hearing you say is that there's these trends, you know, even in diet culture, you're the expert on this. I'm not, but I I call myself a a casual nutritionist. You know, people are always like, what are you taking now? And you can also be a nutritionist because there's no licensure for the word nutritionist. So you're literally a nutritionist. You're good. I'm a a nutritionist (laughs) now, but I definitely was totally guilty of telling people what they should do. I actually have a an idea for another podcast called unsolicited advice with Sarah, where I just tell people how to like, <laughs> how to live their I life. And it would probably be just like drink yeah. celery juice and do bullet both. But I don't want to do that because I also know that everybody's different. And I just share like, this is what I do. And I take probiotics and I like turmeric lattes and I like celery juice with ginger and lemon. And that makes me feel good. Totally. But, I, but again, nothing back to the way I do find a lot of the extreme diets culty for sure, especially things like keto. Oh, yeah. And that's mostly like it's not even so much the method itself. It's the people around it being like, I'm so much better than you because I do this. Exactly. Right? And I th- I think people like to identify with something mm-hmm. and it's really comforting for people to feel like they're a part of something. Yeah. And I've seen it be really disastrous for people when they kind of join a diet community and then that doesn't work for them because it's a physical regimen that just physically doesn't work with their bodies. Mm-hmm. And then what ends up happening is they're sick and now they lost their community and identity too. Mm. I'm sure you could talk at length about that experience and what that's like. And I'm sure this is a very micro view of of your bigger experience. But can we talk about the sense of community that we seek out when it comes to things with our health, our mental health, our our spiritual health? Yeah, I think it's very, it's very normal to want that. It's definitely been something that Nippy and I have discovered in our cult recovery journey in terms of, you know, we were very set on 
on wanting to know how this happened. And even with the two of us, why he joined and why I joined is is different. It is case by case, but generally a lot of people are looking for community and they're, you know, they're lonely. It's again, the dividedness is a problem. People want to have answers for things in the same way. I'm sure that they in, in the in the community that you've built, they want to know how to live. They want to know how to be healthy. And someone's coming and saying, hey, yeah, I got, I have the way. I have a path. I have a tool set. I have a roadmap, whatever you want to call it. So that in conjunction with like-minded, like we want to be around like-minded people. You know, we, we just met today. We have the same well, middle last name, Shapiro. And we're like, we feel connected. We're like, oh my goodness, we, so we probably that. are related. That feels so good. Which sidebar, I had that when I met Nancy Salzman also Jewish. Mm. And, you know, for sure it was like our families are from the same shtetl and that feels good. It feels good. It feels safe and not all warmth and love is love bombing. So just to preface that, but of course, when you meet somebody and they want to bring you in and envelop you into a community to feel like you found family is, is an incredible gift. If you're looking for family or you don't have family or you're estranged from your family, or you want to have a better family than what you currently have. So I think that I see a, a lot of, not necessarily full on cults with diets and diet culture, but very culty. And, and that's definitely something that Nippy and I are very careful of. We're not pointing our fingers going, Absolutely. You know, you're a cult and that's a cult. It's like, I see a dynamic here that's cultish or culty. In other words, there's an abuse of power. And what's the abuse of power? Probably more specific. I haven't done a deep dive particularly on the whole diet culture yet, but I've certainly people have written to me and more about like MLMs within diet culture. Mm -hmm. I forget the name of the company. You might not even want to mention it, but like even things like Isogenics and these companies that's, that sell shape. Beachbody. 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 That was the one I was going to mention. I'm good to mention Beachbody anytime. Don't worry. A number of people have asked me before we do an episode on Beachbody. And I I just said, I, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but from the little research that I did, I was like, wow. Definitely problematic because a lot of the jargon around what you, again, should be doing in the company is culty because it's based on the self-help. So this is where like the the Venn diagram of self-help overlaps with diet culture, overlaps with MLMs. Those three things in a Venn diagram is like really problematic for me. At the core, the most upsetting part to me is that we know that loneliness is as dangerous for a person health-wise mm. as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. There's like this incredible wow. study that showed that. Yeah. Which is devastating too. So I get like tangly thinking about someone who's sick and looking for help and then looking for a sense of community. It like makes me like ill. Mm-hmm. It's not really tingly isn't the word. It makes me like have reflux. Like I'm, it makes me like sick mm-hmm. to think about that truly. And the idea also that these diet companies, which have huge marketing budgets, even some healthcare practitioners, if they're leading with ego, truly can put their own financial needs in front of the needs of the consumer. Mm-hmm. And, and that happens a lot more, I think, than people realize, because especially in America, you know, everything's a business. Like our healthcare mm-hmm. is a business, dieting is a business, and all of this is really hard for people to conceptualize when people are also healthcare professionals. So I see cultishness with people following an idol of a healthcare professional mm-hmm. because they can have access to, you know, they have amazing degrees, much like you said, like Nancy Salzman or something. It doesn't necessarily mean that people are doing it out of their most scientific selves. There is a lot of ego in healthcare too. Mm-hmm. I think that really needs to be addressed. Absolutely. And I think that probably there's less people like Keith Raniere out there who are 
you know, sociopathic or psychopathic, narcissistic, sex addicted douchebags, my opinion, and mm-hmm. more so people who are at maybe at one point starting out wanting to do good and then that power goes to their head or feeds their ego in an unhealthy way and they maybe derail a little bit is probably what happens more, especially in that space. So there's the mixture of like, yeah, I want to help people. And then like, oh, wow, I feel so famous or, you know, important now. And then the values shift is probably what happens. Yeah. There definitely are not as many ever. Now I know the new word of the world is that everyone's a narcissist. Mm -hmm. I want to write a book. Not everyone's a narcissist and not everything's diet culture. That'll be my book Mm -hmm. because I've encountered true, true NPD narcissists. And there are very few of them compared to other people, like you're saying. And it's a spectrum. It really is. And I think that that's also not an easy or successful way of looking at things too, Mm -hmm. to think every healthcare professional is out there for money. That's absolutely not true either. Not everything is a scam. A lot of people are, most healthcare professionals are out there for the right reasons, but there are some people who, again, it's, it's more about you praising them than getting the help that you need. Mm -hmm. So how could people spot a little bit too much ego, a little bit, not enough science? Like what, do you have any tips for people on that? How do you know something's a real deal? What have you learned? I think one of the very first things is, are you being pressured from the beginning to participate in whatever it is? If it's a sales, you know, sign up now. We had this in Nexium. If you sign up in the first 48 hours, you get a 20% discount. And anyone who's in sales knows that when people first hear about something is when they're excited. And if you miss that window, then you're, they're likely not to buy. So there's that, unfortunately, there is truth in that. But the problem is, is that People use that scarcity mentality and knowing that mm-hmm. people have legit FOMO and they want pe- they don't want people to pass that window of wanting to purchase. I now stand by if you're feeling pressured in any way, that's a, that's a big red flag for me, especially if it's like, you know, we're going to do this work, this, you know, body workshop or nutritional discount or whatever the thing is, this is probably your, it's your, it's your field. But I would say also like you can Google pretty easily these days. And if, if there's accusations against the person, any sort of legal scandal or whistleblowers that have come out, that's, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And yes, of course there can be false allegations, but that's something we we tell people often is if you are part of something or thinking about being part of something and there's some sort of allegations against the leader or the group or the company or the organization, whatever, and you ask them, okay, so what about like this person who says that, you know, you're, I don't know, a narcissist or, uh, you know, that you abuse them in some way financially, sexually, physically, verbally, whatever. If they say, you know, well, that person just went crazy or that person can't be trusted for whatever reason, or like they brush it off. That tells me a lot about how sort of like the ethics of the company, a more responsible person would say, you know, this is something that we're dealing with. We're not sure. What would I need to hear? Like, I, you know, we're, we're working with this person to see what damage was done and figuring out how we can fix it and you know how this came to be. And we're really upset about it. Like something like that would be a more appropriate response. But either way, one thing I, I have noticed is that when people have concerns about a company, if they go to the leadership itself, they may be gaslit. And if you don't know about what gaslighting yeah. is, in other words, it gets turned around on the person versus the allegations are dealt with. One of the main things that happened a lot in Nexium is that if you did come up with allegations, you were accused of being a complainer. That's a complaint. Mm. And in that world, that's especially with women, that's one of women's worst traits, apparently, is complaining. So, 
Yeah. <laughs> Disagree. I know. I agree. Nagging is the best thing yeah. and women don't complain. I, it's what they're saying is so valuable. It needs to be heard. Yeah. yeah. So that was something that that's a really strong red flag for me is if you can't share a concern without it being flipped back on you. Yeah. I think that those are extremely helpful mm-hmm. to start off with. Yeah. Honestly, that was like, let people digest that anyway. Yes. I thought of one more thing, actually. Again, and I, th- I said this at the beginning, if that person, and you're not sure if it's the real deal, says it's like the cure-all, end-all, be-all, like it's just this thing, whether it's mm. mango juice or protein powder or, like I said, celery juice, and there's and that's it, like that. this is the thing to cure everything, that's a, that's a red flag for me. A hundred percent. And I think when it comes to nutrition, I can tell you there's like a the two psychologists made the thing, the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is basically like the more that you know, the less you think you know. Mm-hmm. And also the audio is like, the more I see, the less I know. You know, like the more I have to like, like, I think that so much in healthcare, the best practitioners I know are all at the point where we're like 10 years in, 20 years in, do we know anything at all? Like mm-hmm. you actually, after meeting so many people, I've worked with over a thousand clients. Every single person is so different. I would never claim that anything works for everyone because it truly doesn't. I would also say something that you said before that was really important too, is that in regards to the placing urgency on clients and how important that is, I've been in health business masterminds Mm -hmm. and that what I want people to hear from this conversation is that dietitians, doctors, all these people who are, again, have the most amazing intentions if they're in these masterminds are being taught to hit people's pain points, to make sure that you're speaking directly to what's ailing them and to increase urgency on sales. Again, I'm a New Yorker. Like if someone tries to hard sell me on something, I'm like, I'll never speak to you again. Like you're, you're dead to me. Like it's not, it's, it'll never work. But for a lot of people, like you said, it pre on their sense of FOMO or in these cases, people are freaking sick mm-hmm. and they want answers and they're willing to pay or do anything to feel better. And I have to tell people practitioners are aware of that too, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. And if if it is more of a business than that, you know, warm, safe space with a practitioner, I think it's also like just a gut feeling. Just know like, eh, if this feels a little bit weird, it's weird. I just have to tell you, I know it's a little bit off diet culture, but my son, my eight-year-old had um, a filling go out. And when we were back in Vancouver over Christmas, because I didn't have a dentist here yet in Atlanta, I saw our pediatric dentist and she was like, you need this, he needs this, 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 this. It's going to cost five grand for all the things he needed, including having the tooth pulled, which was a baby tooth and put a spacer in, whatever, it's 5K. And I'm like, you know what? It was the two days before Christmas. I didn't want him to have to go through this. And also it was I just like 5K. I just, my gut and my gut instinct was that it was, it wasn't just a money grab, just the urgency of the way that they, like what you just said, like the pain point and like, and also the, you know, the clinic will be closed over the holidays. I didn't feel good about it. I said, I'm going to wait. And they were like, that's really dangerous. You can have an infection you know, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I waited. I brought him to Atlanta. It's cost 700 bucks. They say, you don't need to pull the tooth because it's, wig- yes. it's wiggly and you can, it's going to come out like a month at least. And I'm so glad I waited. But I, you know, listen, I was trained in sales in Nexium. This is sales stuff that I've since learned is is not Nexium sales. It's just sales, which is, mani- sales. you know, which is manipulative. It is manipulative. And I was just trained that manipulation wasn't bad because I'm leaving there somewhere good. Yeah, You know what I mean? I think that a lot of people do think that. They're like, yes, I'm hitting their pain points, but I'm going to help them, right? So that they don't feel like they're doing anything bad. And the the thing that we were taught always was like, you know, if I met you, for example, Michelle, 
and, you know, at some cool cafe in New York and we're hitting it off and we have rapport, which is of course the first thing, which we already had like instantly. And then I'd find out, you know, what was going on in your life and like, oh, you're a podcaster and you have these goals. And like, there's always something that limits people. So to figure out what your limitations were, in other words, what, 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 what do you hit up against that stops you from reaching your goals or being the best version of yourself, whether it's you procrastinate or that you get scared with cold calling or you have your own, you know, personal glass, whatever it is, I'd, I would find that. And then I would say, what would it be worth for you to overcome that limitation and have all these dreams, which I would just like repeat back to the person. And it would be like, well, that'd be priceless. I'm like, great. Cause it's only $2,000. <laughs> you were going to pay priceless. You, you only pay two grand. Now it's only 2k. So can't afford not to do it. And I felt really good about that because I thought that I was helping them. And I think that once you see, once you see, and that was always my technique. And even since leaving people who have been like, Sarah, you never hard sold me. And I was, I appreciate that because I was, I really did care about people. I wanted them to take the training and to make it work for them. Other people I know totally hard sold other people would say things like, well, this is why you're not successful. You can't make this decision. Mm-hmm. Do you see how you do this in your whole life? And people would be like, fuck off. I think that the hard selling within in the industry is pretty gross. It's m- extremely offensive to me when it's also someone when it comes to health mm-hmm. goals. And I can tell you very firsthand being in business coaching scenarios where it is, this is literally what a lot of practitioners are being taught is hit the pain points, increase urgency of sales. So on my discovery calls, if someone says like, Hey, I want to have this goal. Can I lose this amount of weight by this time? I'm like, I don't know. Let's, I I can't, I'm not God. I have no idea what's going to happen with your body. Mm -hmm. All we can do is create that safe space for people and let the healing happen from their own autonomous decisions. And I think that's really the difference between a practitioner. If someone is telling you with 100% certainty, they can fix a problem. it, It really is a huge red flag. You're Absolutely right. I also fear when there's only one tool or strategy in a practitioner's toolbox or a diet's toolbox, right? Like maybe again, the celery juice you could have taken from, you know, that famous, I don't even like, that's a name I don't love to say, that famous person's program. Mm -hmm. And you take Bulletproof Coffee from Dave Asprey. Mm -hmm. The fact that you pick the different things Mm -hmm. from the different programs that you like is really powerful as opposed to I'm going like hardcore Bulletproof. I'm never eating chickpeas again. You know, like I think the picking and choosing and feeling what works for you is, is also what you've adapted that seems to be working really well too. Yeah. And that's the same way I do my spirituality now. Like I'm, I will never join an organization ever again. I'll never follow anyone ever again. I you know have my own version of meditation. I, I do very non-culty yoga, which doesn't have a particular, like it's not Ashtanga or Kundalini or Bikrams. It's just a power flow. And if, you know, I like, I like that they don't have a it's, it's like just spiritual enough with not being dogmatic. I like my Palo Santo. I have those other health rituals I just told you about. It's not a particular thing. Actually, it's funny you mentioned David Asprey because that's one of the things that the person said because I'm into Bulletproof and David Asprey apparently is, I mean, I don't like, oh, and I probably follow him on, or follow Bulletproof on Instagram, but apparently he's got a very... Pro- particular political stance, which means that I must right. also have that political stance. You're like, I'm literally putting butter inside of my coffee. Yeah. I'm not following a political movement. Yeah. I'm just putting literal butter inside of this coffee that I'm drinking. Yeah, that's the that's only it. thing that's happening. Yes. And it's also very over-assumed and divisive in general, because I wouldn't care very much about what someone's political affiliations are. I want to see the science of, yeah. of what they're presenting much more. Yeah. I think this other idea of what I saw in the vow and what I saw from your experience that stood out to me so much is this idea of just suppressing 
your own survival instincts and suppressing your own ideas in favor of what the collective or in favor of what the leader is saying. Can we speak into that a little bit? Well, I think the most dangerous thing that Keith did is he dismantled our inner compass and that compass is supposed to guide you that gut instinct you said earlier. And I had my gut instinct from day one saying, get the fuck out. But I also trusted the person who brought me to stick past day three, not knowing that you can have your belief system turned upside down or rewired or be indoctrinated into a new one in three days if you're open, which I was. I wanted to get my money's worth. You know, I did believe it was possible to change. And even though I felt thought a lot of things are really weird and did want to leave, I had made a commitment to stick through it. And that didn't realize was the beginning of overriding my gut instinct. I had an interview recently with Dan Levin, who was one of the survivors of the of the Sarah Lawrence College, Larry Ray survivor of Stolen Youth. It's an incredible story. And he he said something which I'm going to adopt, which was, it wasn't just that it was dismantled, but like the person then becomes your compass. So the person you're following is mm. your new compass. And that is something that even though obviously I was in for so long and I was like very deeply devoted, there were certain things that I just didn't do. And this and so in relation to the diet stuff, people would always say things like, well, Keith says, da, 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 da. And I remember, I think this is even in my book. I was like, what, is he a nutritionist now? Because so <laughs> many people were counting calories. And I personally, I know it works for some people. I personally have never counted calories. And I saw these people that were like counting calories and eating canned soup and white bread and having their calories low. And I'm eating like quinoa and, you know. Bulletproof coffee. Oh, I, that came later. That, that came later. That was a fad and next thing briefly. And I thought it was ridiculous. But I was eating like avocado. People were like, wow, that's so many calories. And I'm like, it doesn't wow. work that way. Like I don't want a nutritionist, but I know that I'm eating better than you are, even if you're eating less calories. I'm so glad you brought up calories because it's part of this aspect of our mental health is when, again, we suppress our own instinct and then we start getting our understanding of the world from other people. Mm -hmm. There's an easy way to do that, which is starving yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's actually really easy to gain access and control over someone else's brain through starvation because our ability to make decisions is so limited. So Mm -hmm. some of these diets also have this added power of literally starving our brains of glucose Mm -hmm. so we cannot access decision-making ability or think. And so that was something that I was like, that it's so wild that this idea that diet culture or low calorie diets or all these things can actually cause you to not only deteriorate internally, but it can actually cause these issues with your ability to hold your own power too. Absolutely. In fact, I I didn't see it as that at the time. I just like internally was like, I'm not going to do that. This is what I've realized about myself in my recovery and trying to understand the journey I went on is that I am a good girl. I like to follow rules. Like I'll go through TSA and not make a scene, but inside I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. Yeah. I find you to be such a rebel. I'm surprised. I find you so rebellious. Well, you've seen me on the other side of it, but when I was in Nexium, I would be like, yes, I'm going to enter my coach points and do all this like boring data work, but that I never did. So sort of like it's an external obedience but an internally, I was very rebellious. That was my true self. My true self inside was like, Keith is not a nutritionist. Why are all these women eating the way that he says? And I knew that they were doing extreme diets. It was always a different thing. It was like one point they were all raw, which I also tried. Most of the people were vegetarian, which I tried for like a couple of years and it didn't work for me. But that was like looked down upon that I was, you know, quote, choosing violence 
Mm. And I'm sure there's listeners of people who are vegetarian and think, well, she is using violence because that's part of, that is part of the belief around why some people are vegetarian. But that's not the context in which it no, was used. No, obviously. exactly. And in my ideal world, I would like to be <laughs> vegetarian, but also eat steak. So I don't know how to do it. Well, Sarah, you're on the podcast. I was a vegan for over 10 years, and it was one of the factors that deteriorated my health the most. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely a pro-inclusive of all real foods in people's diets kind of person. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to have that voice telling you you should be vegetarian. You're good. Oh, no. It's fa- I, from, a, from a registered dietitian. You. I appreciate yeah, exactly. that. And so, yeah, that, that, was, that was a stage I went to. That's when I was going to pure food and wine, which I because I was a raw vegan at the time, and that was like the best place to eat in the world. The food was so, so good. Ridiculously good. It was so good. But I mean, and just the odds of that being one of your favorite. It was everyone in New York. It was the hottest place in New York. It wasn't, it wasn't you specifically landing in these situations twice. I just think it's hilarious that I was there and met Sarma and then had her on our podcast years later as like breaking news from her, her harrowing journey and her cult 100%. of one story. But just to backtrack for a second, you were saying about overriding your own voice for the leader. Was that the question? Yeah. What concerns do we have mm-hmm. about people blindly following health advice or blindly following practitioners advice mm-hmm. or diets or MLMs advice? And how do we get to a point and what, what strategies do people use to make us suppress our own voices? Like how do we, how do we know that it's not our real voice that's talking to us? That's a really good question. I don't know if you've read Glennon Doyle's Untamed. Of course. Yeah. I love that book. And she talked about, and again, don't follow anyone blindly, including her. And she's the, probably the, one of the first to say it, but there was something that she says, I'm going to totally butcher it, but she explains very, what I now, what she, I think she calls it the knowing, which requires mm. some stillness and some quiet and to connect with yourself. For me, it's like a conversation with a wiser version of myself. If I can be very still and quiet, I, I usually that. do it as a meditating, like in Shavasana or I'm about to go to sleep or in the morning. And it's like literally like a two-way conversation in, turn, in my head. I'm like, oh, hi. Oh, there you are. Oh, no, I'm always here. Okay. So, and it's just sort of like this back and forth. To connect to that part of myself is something that takes work and, and not many people I think are even still enough to know what that thing is. And also like we're lazy, you know, we want the quick fix. We want someone to say, this is what, what we have to do. And a lot of the things that we've looked at, especially with the podcast, almost all of the cults start with what looks like autonomy and what looks like, you know, uh, choice and, you know, in Nexium, it was called being at cause and like you're responsible for your life and it feels very good and very, very potent, but then it slowly erodes at that sense of self. And if you commit to whatever this thing is offering and you really commit, and a lot of these things require a commitment at some point, that means actually handing over your voice and your decisions Mm. and that knowing to somebody else. And that happens slowly. It's not like, Hey, join this thing for me and, you know, get the leader's initials torched into your flesh, right? It happens many, many years over time. Frog in in boiling water metaphor works nicely here. Did I answer your question? (laughs) You so freaking answered my question. And I think, you know, the whole point of this podcast, Quiet the Diet, is all about accessing your own voice and trying to push out and down other people's Mm -hmm. ideas of what's healthy for you. There's obviously merit to working with a healthcare professional. Mm -hmm. I am one. Of course, I believe that. But I think that it's so important, even in a really healthy relationship with a practitioner or engaging in a diet, Mm -hmm. that you're still listening to that voice. And I I use a tool with my clients, which is when you hear a voice coming Mm -hmm. up and says, like, you should be doing that, just try to name it, Mm -hmm. associate it with where you might have learned it. If it's your real voice and if it's your real voice, 
you'll see like a, a beautiful blue or mm. green or gold color coming up and associate those different voices that we have with colors or sensations. And, and there is a quite literally a gut response. And for people mm-hmm. to understand that we are so freaking smart beyond our conscious brains. Like we really have those instincts and those instincts really, I think ultimately saved you, Sarah, because you at some point said, Hey, do you remember hearing like the real rebel Sarah voice coming up and being like, Oh, there I am. Like, did you have a moment like that? It's definitely starting to creep up in the last few years before I left. It wasn't just at the end. There was a lot of, of things that were happening that weren't okay that I couldn't wrap my head around. Cause I ultimately, I assumed that even though, even the things I didn't like that the leader still had good intentions. I couldn't see that of course that Keith was bad as a bad person. It was like, this is an error or this is like a, mistake. And I was so upset about it. And the full voice didn't come out until I could see the whole picture, like what I was actually involved with. But yeah, I've, I've learned from cult expert, Stephen Hassan, who's incredible and a big part of my healing. He talks about how there's like a cult pre-cult identity. And then when you're in the cult and you fully embrace it, you have your cult identity, but your pre-cult identity is still in there. So once the bubble burst, like I just came busting out, I, I I woke up or like deprogrammed or unindoctrinated myself very, very, very quickly. And I was back. And then yes, the rebel side came out because I was like, fuck this. Not only do I have to expose it, but like kind of take this thing down because it's not only bad, it's the opposite of what we were teaching. Exactly. And I think that incongruence for people can feel really hard. And it's so hard because not only is there this diet culture voice. Now there's this anti-diet culture voice. Not only is there a vegan voice inside of all of us, there's a, you should eat the meat for protein voice. And we have so many different Mm -hmm. messages going on. And like you said, we want stillness. We get so much decision fatigue that we eventually say, please, someone just tell me what to eat. I can't, I don't even know what to do anymore. Just someone tell me what to do. And I think that the more good someone is as a person, the more they're going to have these quandaries because you're trying to do always the most moral thing and the thing that feels good instinctually too. Yes. A decision fatigue is a real thing. I, I have that right now after moving and trying to figure out what to bring and what to pack and what to sell and what to give away. I think had that happened or like had I been in that state and you know, without Nexium and somebody saying, hey, do this method or join this group, I would have been like, okay, anything to make this feeling go away. You're like, okay, do you have an organizer I can use to do all this stuff with? Cause I cannot think about, you know, exactly. It's, it's our instinctual survival voices. The more we suppress them, the more they can make us sick inside too. And I think that our body, any kind of illness we have, our body tries to communicate with us through signs and symptoms. So the more that not only there's voices yelling at us, but we're experiencing symptoms, which is funny because we think we want to suppress the symptoms. You actually want to let them up. You want to let the voices up. You want to let the symptoms up and let your body show you what's really going mm-hmm. on. But, and that's another kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. There's one thing I wanted to touch on too, which hilariously is from your friend, Mark Vicente's podcast, mm-hmm. WTF is on my mind. And he talks about this idea of how discipline is a good thing mm-hmm. in kind of like doses. And once you kind of chase discipline too much when it comes to health, even, and he was talking about how he would like run into the ocean when I was very, cold. And then he was like, wait, am I doing this to help myself? Or am I kind of like punishing myself? Mm -hmm. Can we talk about this idea in the health space or in your own experience of like, when do we know something is you're punishing yourself or you're actually just doing it because it's good for you and because you want to do it? I'm not a big self-punisher with stuff like that personally, but definitely discipline is something that I struggled with in my journey, because discipline was a definitely like a big part of the Nexium journey. It was discipline was yeah. how you showed character and consistency. And there's this thing called persistency, which is 
became a noun. That's one of the things they messed with our language. Persistency was a thing that you did every day as a commitment. So people did persistencies on like learning Spanish or doing crunches. A lot of people did calorie ones. And as you know, the calorie dieting thing was a big part of what turned into like the grossest parts of Nexium. I think discipline was something that I kind of, my pre-cult self kind of rejected. And I sort of pretended to go along with it. I have just things I'm consistent with. Like I'm consistent with my yoga. I'm consistent. I've always been a healthy eater. Like I said, there's been points where I've been obsessive, but generally it's not a diet. I just eat healthy. Like I'm gluten-free. I'm largely dairy-free. Mine is goat cheese. Very special very, goat it's cheese. It's very special organic. And my family's always teasing me that it's like, has to be gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, artisanal from the farmer's market. Like that, that's, that's, that's me. But so I'm consistent, but discipline for the sake of discipline felt too regimented for me. It's probably why I didn't mm. like Bikram's yoga, which now we know, you know, another- Wow, another, wow. Right? Interestingly, I didn't I like it even when I was in Nexium. I did it if I was like in some foreign country and it's the only thing they offered, but I never, you know, became a devotee. It's funny. I could see that that was culty, but I couldn't see it in my own group. I mean, it's obviously because it was very, very slow. If you're a smart person like you are. You have to see enough good and gain enough good from something to continue believing in it. I did do Bikram yoga, but not in a like very regimented way. But I always was fascinated because if you did hot yoga, but it wasn't Bikram, they were like, no, you're not doing the 26 postures or whatever it is. That doesn't count. Like it's not the thing. Like we said, nothing can be the thing. And I think that's what's so hard for people too. I think that you're being a person who's generally healthy and you're being a person who pushes harsh discipline and punishment was like a saving grace and, and will always be a saving grace for you too. That was definitely your inner self. I, it sounds like protecting you too. I think so. Cause I also started doing things like penance, right? Especially being Jewish and not being raised Catholic or Christian. That wasn't part of my upbringing. I was like, what, what are we doing here? Like, this is personal development. This isn't religion, but sure. I'll stand in 2 a.m to counter this bad thing I did. Like, I just kind of went along with it. I went along with a lot of things because I liked the good of it. And I knew somewhere internally that if I stood up against it, I wouldn't be able to keep doing what I was doing. So I was like, sure. But because I was in Vancouver and there was nobody higher rank overseeing me in person, like on the ground, I just kind of did my own thing. Well, that was, a again, another saving grace for yes. you too. Distance sounds very, Distance. very nice Distance too. Distance saved yeah, me. For sure. And I think that it's so hard for people to change behaviors when A, it's working for them, B, it's working for other people and they feel good doing it. So it's it makes total sense. And then at some point, we hope, especially with food or anything like that, because I can guarantee that there's not one strict food program that's a lifelong, awesome thing mm-hmm. to do. There's not one. Is that hopefully people's inner voice kicks in for them and they can start making decisions based on what actually works with their bodies too. Yeah, for sure. And I, I know that like, Bulletproof isn't what I want to do forever. It, it, for me, it helped me lose baby weight after a second babe, which was harder. Mm. And it's yeah, also, it also gives me like talking about decision fatigue. I don't have to think about my breakfast because I mean, I do eat breakfast. I just eat a little bit later. But when I wake up and have my coffee with all the stuff in it, I don't have to think about it. I think that's why people do the thing where they get all black socks, you know, mm. so they don't have to match their socks. It makes life easier. It takes the decision fatigue out. You don't have to think about it anymore. Actually, my husband and I just threw out like, or well, donated if they were nice and fresh, all of our socks and then just got only new ones. And it was a pretty life-changing experience because I was like, yeah, I don't have to match these up all. I already have all the same sock. I think this is an amazing idea. I think it's brilliant. Brilliant is very (laughs) generous, Sarah. That could be your, that could be the next book. 
Exactly. I don't know what it's called. Exactly. My book that I want to write next is going to be called because we just moved and we got here and we had to like go from furnished rental to furnished rental for about four months. So my next book is going to be called My Life in Tote Bags. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Let me tell you something. If you need any additional tote bags to add, I have just so many tote. It's a New York thing, right? Yes. So many I tote so bags. Many totes. <laughs> I have some, in fact, I'm looking at a pile in the corner over there. It's like, I can, I can't get rid of them. I even, I haven't brought some from Canada. Sarah Shapiro Edmondson. Lover of totes. A life of tote bags. That's <laughs> a lover of totes. A lever of Nexium and a lover of totes. That's the book's name. We, we've really got it. I even have a little bit culty tote bags. That's, that's my favorite one. That's the one I bring to you oh. because it's a conversation starter. I need one of these. What are you drinking, by the way? What do we got there? <laughs> This is like the, the the quick version of Bulletproof. If I don't, I, I just needed a little pick me up before this interview. It's zero sugar, plant protein, 200 milligrams of caffeine. It's a super coffee. It looks amazing. It's really and good. And by the way, yeah, I really love Bulletproof coffee. I am not a person who generally drinks coffee consistently, but I do. It's more stabilizing for me than other coffees. And yeah, I, I love that Bulletproof coffee works for you it, too. Because all that matters is that it works for you. That's the only thing that literally matters in nutrition. Thank you. And if I have regular coffee, I get too jittery because of the oil in it. it like yep. It's the slow release. It's more grounding, more grounding too, the oil. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't hit the blood sugar as much. He obviously removes mycotoxins and everything too. Yes. Shout out Dave, I guess, right? I mean, we're here. So, you know, there you <laughs> By go. By the way, Dave, I, if you want to be my sponsor, I don't care what your political views are. So Exactly. Dave Asprey, Dave Asprey, this is a message from Michelle and Sarah Shapiro Edmondson. If you want to be a little bit culty sponsor, it doesn't matter. Go right ahead and do whatever yeah. you want. Exactly. doesn't matter. I don't even know what his political thing is. I just know that one of my listeners was offended that I would support him. Again, the divisiveness is happening, whether you're vaxxed or not vaxxed, red or blue, right or left, black or white, Republican, Democrat, that extreme division is is just like nothing bothers me more. I think it's more than bothering. It's extremely dangerous yeah. when it comes to health information. Yes. And just as a note about the scientific method, the point of the scientific method is to disprove yourself. Mm -hmm. So if anyone says anything is, this is rock solid nutrition science, mm -hmm. this is 100%, we're disproving stuff all the time. Yeah. That's what we do. That's part That's part of the game. Mm -hmm. So we have to be able to have discourse about yes. things, especially when it comes to health. You know, I'm a functional dietitian, which instantly makes me like a rebel, mm -hmm. like where I'm an integrative functional, much more on the holistic side yeah. of things. So hilariously in America, where by in every other country in the world, that doesn't make you a rebel. It's just the way that they practice nutrition mm -hmm. in America that makes you totally controversial oh, to yeah. be a functional dietitian, which is, again, goes to show you that just because it's a current idea about something. It doesn't mean it's inherently or morally wrong or good or anything like that. You just have to look at it, everything through the lens of data and objectivity and more importantly, what feels good yeah. for you yeah. and makes you feel amazing. That's the only thing that freaking matters is that you take a little piece from everything. Yes. So Sarah, do you have any final tips for people? They're approaching, they want to start a diet. They want to start working with a practitioner. What would you say a top tip or it can be something you already said that you want to reiterate. In addition to everything I already said, I think that one thing that people also have to be aware of is that, you know, it's okay to be wrong and it's okay to make mistakes. And I think sometimes people start something like this and then they want to make it work and they want to prove to themselves and their family that like it was a good investment. And then they stick it. It's like somebody who stays in a, in a relationship that's not healthy because there's too many downsides to splitting up. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So same thing with this stuff. Like give it a try. If you don't, if it doesn't work, you don't have to, you know, get your money's worth, which is what I did. And I wish that I hadn't stuck it through that long. And I think like generally, whether it's a diet or a program or a personal development or whatever, I think having the mindset of 
evolving and being the best you and all that stuff is, is totally fine. But you can also have that with a level of self-love and acceptance and that you're not, you know, broken or not damaged and there's nothing wrong with you. So it's sort of like both things can exist. You can love yourself and accept and not be like negative towards yourself and also developing or growing or bettering yourself, which is, I don't necessarily have the tools for that. I think it's something that I'm still aspiring to, to do and to have, but it's a perceptual shift. You don't have to like feel like shit and down on yourself in order to better yourself. It's that idea also of this dichotomy that we were talking about, the discomfort thing of like, I, I call it like compassion versus coddling. Mm. It's totally okay to be compassionate with yourself and be honest with yourself. It's not okay to be extremely harsh on yourself, self-critical and punishing. And it's also usually not too helpful to be too coddling and be like, everything you do is great. And this is, this is totally fine. You know, there's a sweet middle, which is just knowing yourself and listening to yourself and being totally compassionate and honest with yourself. And that's, I think, pretty much would help people in any sort of cultish situation. Agreed. Well said. Thank you. Write a book. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Write it then, Michelle. Okay. We have like 18 book titles that we're coming out of this conversation I, I with. I feel like we should collaborate more in the future. I know we're going to. Sarah, this is like my life dream. You don't get it. I, I just really have to reiterate this. <laughs> my entire family. We're not people who are like, generally celebrity, like maybe Larry David were like super into, but we're not like those people. When I told my cousins and they're going to die listening to this, that I was interviewing Sarah Edmondson, they were like, oh, you're literally meeting like the most important person on planet earth. I'm like, yeah, dude, like this is my, this is my thing. Okay. What are your cousin's names? David and Eric and Amy. David, Eric and Amy. David, Eric and Amy. I really appreciate it. I'm going to start a, my own little group, David, Eric and Amy. Do you want to join? And you can be my second in command. It's just a small group. It's not a cult, just like a little organization. I'm going to be the most important person. <laughs> you have 48 hours to reply. Yeah. How much is it worth to you? Yeah. That's it. How much is it worth afford to not to join? To hang- really? Exactly. I know. Only two grand to hang out with you, Sarah Edmondson. We'll take it. We'll all take it. Sarah, where can people find you besides your incredible podcast, A Little Bit Culty, which is a must listen and most people are already listening to. Where else can people find you and learn from you? If you want to hear the whole story of my journey. Yes, please. The true story of how I escaped Nexium, the cult that bound my life. And by the way, I have had this removed. I had plastic surgery. So my brand is is gone now. Thank goodness. The best way to reach us or reach me is either through Sarah Edmondson on Instagram and a little bit culty on Instagram. I'm elsewhere, but I don't really use Twitter that much. I find it kind of gross. The whole Nippy calls it the bathroom wall of social media. <laughs> it really is. You know? It's just bleh, yeah. putting ideas it's out. Gross. Exactly. Yeah. I don't use Twitter either. No. I think I have one from like five years ago and don't have the login. So if I do have one, don't quote me on that. But Sarah, thank you so freaking much for spending the time today. I am certain we'll be collaborating in the future. And I am imploring people, please go read Sarah's book, Scarred. Please go listen to the podcast. It will be the best thing you do. I also have to say, WTF is on my mind. Mark Vicente, I'm obsessed. It was also very good. good. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That was a really fun conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Quiet the Diet podcast. If you found any of this information relevant or you related to it, please feel free to share the podcast. It would mean the world to us. Also, remember to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And you can follow us on Instagram at Quiet the Diet Pod. We'll put the link in the show notes after each episode. Thank you again for listening. And I can't wait to see you in the next episode.